Welcome to the RevOps Podcast. My name is Jordan Henderson, and I am your host. I'm joined today with Brandon Redlinger and Jonathan Stevens. As always, go ahead and say hi, guys. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. I like that Jonathan's always, like, slightly slow, because he doesn't want to be the first one to say hello. Um, <laughs> if, if I say it at all. Yeah. And I, I think he, internally, Jonathan, you're like, oh, I just don't want us to be talking over each other. But the, the audio is recorded separately. We can fix that. So it's fine. That's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> um, cool. So this week, guys, I want to talk about uh, one that's that's probably up Jonathan's alley. Last week, we talked about one that was very near and dear to Brandon. So this week, we're going to go with a, a Jonathan Stevens topic, lead scoring which I think is super, super important and very, very important to the alignment of sales and marketing. So, as always, does anybody want to give me a definition of lead scoring for the audience? It, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just a, uh, a process or maybe it's more of a methodology uh, that helps sales and marketing determines like sales readiness for a lead or, you know, what kind of content or conversations you should be having with leads and when. Yeah. And I think that's a fair definition, right? Like it's just assigning points to an action or attribute that gives you some semblance of reasonable indication that this person is likely to convert. Like at the end of the day, it's for sales and marketing. It helps, it helps those two teams do that. Um, super, super important. Um, and better enables prioritization too. So a rep knows yeah, yeah, there you who go. to work yep. first. Yeah, and and marketing knows who to market to, right? It, it's both. Yep. It's it's yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it's not just it's sales and marketing. Um, so so let's let's go from there. I think I, it's a really easy thing. I was really waiting for Jonathan to say like it's like assigning scores to leads. I know you were. I saw you start to speak. And I almost <laughs> muted you. Um, <laughs> 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 but like. Yes, simple definition, right? Because it is it's it's a very complex thing that's very simple to understand. So, but before we dive into the thing itself, why is it important? Why is lead scoring such an important thing? Well, I I, I think Jonathan mainly hit that is just to, to prioritize leads because there's so many people that you could be going after. It just helps you start to try to figure out all right, which ones are those ones that I should be you know, prioritizing first in my day before any of the rest of them. Totally. Yep. And they're, all these leads are giving you indicators by doing certain things on your website or interacting with your content. And it's very important to be on them quickly because they're clearly showing intent with your product. So they're probably showing intent with other products as well. So if another product jumps on them first, you're going to lose that deal. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, like at its core, right? It's, it's maximizing the efficiency of your sales team and the spend of your marketing team, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. it's telling it and in the process, it's aligning those two teams to target the same leads, the same ideal customer profiles, the same buyer personas, those sort of things. Right. So, so it's not only aligning, which of course, RevOps got to say that word a whole bunch. Otherwise people won't know <laughs> that I'm in RevOps. Um, but, but it's, it's maximizing efficiency and spend, which is super, super important. And it can also improve your marketing campaign strategies, right? Because you, you can start to see things, trends, different things that are indicating conversion and tweak campaigns and strategies to, you know, cater to those specific things and increase the, the likelihood or, of those campaigns being effective. So, broadly speaking, it just helps you be better at sales and marketing. And I'm very, yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's, like, in a, in a lot of ways, right? Super important. I don't want to, 
I don't want to understate that in any way because I do think lead scoring is one of the most sort of crucial things to any any business, whether it's a software business or anything else, right? So if you're just listening to this and, and you're learning about lead scoring, how does somebody get started? Like, what do you do? You're just going to, I'm going to start scoring some leads. Where do I start? What's my first step? John, Jonathan is like, he has built an elaborate lead scoring system at RingDNA. I helped him do it. I'm going to give him 99% of credit, though. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, don't, don't try to take any credit for that. No. <laughs> I take 1%. 1% credit. Every, everything else I'll, I'll kick to Jonathan. Yeah, I'll take uh, zero. I'll take zero percent for well, sure. I, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Were, no. you, were you, I didn't even know you were in those conversations. No, uh, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so where do, where do you start? What's the first thing that you have to do in order to start to build this out? And assume, Jonathan, like you're talking to somebody that, that knows nothing about lead scoring. They've never done it before at their business. Yeah, so I think the biggest place to start will be to ensure that the channels that are most important to you are accounted for and integrated, most importantly. So everything is going to revolve around the data that you have and you are able to pass into a centralized system. So if you have data on website visits, if you have a tracking pixel, for example, coming with one of your marketing automation platforms, whether that be HubSpot or Pardot, automatically you've got built-in ability to score based on certain page visits. So if they're visiting your product page, if they're visiting your contact us page or your pricing page, you can score them appropriately based on that intent that they're showing on your website. And then similarly, like if they're interacting with your advertising, you can score them if you're passing that data back in your centralized data system. And you can also kind of pass the email interactions, whether that be opens, clicks, those types of things. So as you're getting that data, you have to centralize that data in a place where you can actually score it. So there's some tools that will automate some scoring for you, like Pardot, for example. But then you're always going to want to augment that scoring. You're always going to want to put in additional data points to also bring in more than just what's out of the box in your marketing automation. I uh, I think you hit your quota for saying data today. Or like, hey, but, but, uh, but, but, but I actually, I, I think it's a really important thing because typically if you ask people like, where do I start with something like this? They'll totally skip past having a centralized data layer, right? Which, which you can't actually do this without a centralized data layer. They just sort of make the assumption that, you know, you have this data there, you have it ready. Most people don't. The reality is, is most people don't have a centralized data layer. They don't have that place in an easy, accessible, and usable thing. And you need it to do what would be, in, in my mind, sort of the first, you know, two steps or two buckets of, of data that you need to analyze. One, one being take that data and analyze and develop buyer personas, break down your audience, right? So, like, are people converting that are in this location at companies that are this old, at companies of this size with titles that are this seniority? That's all data factors that you would use and you need access to in order to figure out who your buyer personas are, which is super, super important. That is sort of like a fundamental thing. But without the data, you can't do that. And then and then the second piece, which I wanna I wanna dig into the second one, because the first one's kind of easy to understand, right? Like figure out your buyer persona. Like you need you need to know some of those attributes that are going to help you identify those things. The next one is behavior. And you kind of talked about it a little bit, right? But I I need to know things like website visits, social media engagements, email opens, event attendance, previous meetings being held, all those sort of like actual behaviors being taken by the buyer. I need that data as well to then know if there's a correlation between that and, and this person's likelihood to convert, which is again, what, what lead scoring is, right? I'm trying to identify 
people with the highest likelihood of conversion. So how do I get that data? Yeah, so there's a few systems. So with your marketing automation platforms, if you have a marketing automation, you'll have a tracking pixel. And that tracking pixel can put cookies on visitors based on your marketing initiatives. And you can actually identify what pages on your website they're visiting. And you can score appropriately based on how much you weight that page. So like a product page could be 10 points and you know your homepage would be five points or something along those lines. So that would be the most critical. But then you also have third-party data. So if you have a tool like Sixth Sense, you're going to want to pull in account-based data. That's use, They use reverse IP to tell on the account basis, but not necessarily on the contact. So a lot of lead scoring can also leverage the account object to see if this account is showing intent, but maybe this lead hasn't quite gotten as much intent yet. You can at least bucket your scoring into the account layer and at least start to target based on hot accounts as well. Totally. And, and so with the, I, I want to, the, the website thing is super interesting, right? And, and it's pretty easy, I think, for people to conceptualize like, hey, this infographic is performed, like this infographic means higher likelihood to convert than this web piece, this other piece of content. But you're mm-hmm. actually analyzing the website each page's likelihood to convert, right? So yep. so if somebody visits the pricing page versus if somebody visits the RevOps podcast page, mm-hmm. obviously the RevOps podcast page has a much higher likelihood to convert. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, duh. Like, oh, yeah. like, clearly it's like 30 <laughs> points. But, but you're actually like, but you, it, it, the behavior is not just like, hey, they went to the website. The behavior is they went to the website and looked at this page for two minutes, which tells me their likelihood of conversion is uh, f- extra five points higher. Yep. And if you do it, add a layer to that, there's tools like Wistia or Vidyard, and you can actually track and score based on what videos they're watching, which is a super powerful thing that not a lot of companies are doing today. And that's something like if somebody's watching a video about your specific product, that's about as hot of an indicator as you can get. Well, it's all about intent, right? It's like mm-hmm. yeah. if, if they're reading a blog versus landing on your pricing page, like mm-hmm. it, it's still one page visit, but highly different intent. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what you're trying to measure, like intent or the likelihood that they are going to convert. Like that, right. that's yeah. essentially it. And, and, and um, so then you take those two things, which would be you know, your buyer persona and the behaviors you're tracking, which are you know, sort of two buckets of data to go back to Jonathan's favorite thing <laughs> in the world, which is, which is definitely data. Um, and and you, you sort of take all of that information, all of that data that you have about, you know, hey, this, these buyer personas are likely to convert. These ones aren't. These activities mean they're likely. These ones mean they're li- not likely ready at all. And then you determine which factors you want to actually attribute scoring to, right? And there's going to be things that you want to pull out and, and maybe they're only three points out of five or five points out of five or, or how, whatever that is. Determine how you want to weight that, which is very, very important because the weighting is going to you know change everything and, and implement it. So how do you actually implement it, Jonathan? How do we implement this? Yeah, so it depends on what system you're going for. So if you're talking about a Salesforce system, as long as you've got your data in order, you can use either a flow or a process builder or a combination of both to build logic out. So you can weight certain criteria based on your data points that then compiles a score in a separate field. And then based on that score is kind of how you weight. And you can even add tiering logic to it. But I think at at the long and short of it is just providing formula weights to certain field criteria. Yeah. And I I think of it like, 
it's almost like putting it together in a quadrant. I know we've talked about quadrants a few weeks in a row now, which is which is probably a bad thing. I apologize to all of our listeners. It's a but, boring but, word. But but when you when you it really is. <laughs> this is gonna be the most the least exciting podcast episode. Um, it's a very analyst thing to do. Analysts love their quadrants. quadrants you know? But they really do. But but if I, I'm looking at buyer personas and behaviors, right? That's two separate things. If I have a great persona and great behaviors, that's who I want to target first, sales and marketing, right? That's number one. They, I want them to be this scored the highest. And if I have maybe a great persona but low behavior, second highest. If I have a weird persona and great behavior, third highest, whatever that looks like, right? And then a bad persona and bad behavior, then like just don't even talk to them at all. Like, right? Like, let's nurture that person and never kick them over to sales. And maybe their nurture is like light. Who, who knows? Um, but, but like, Basically, I mean, obviously, it's a scale of, of scoring and points, and but easiest way to think of it in my mind is at least a quadrant. Um, does that does that add up? Am I totally yeah. off base? And then I think once they reach that decided threshold amongst your team, that you feel like once leads usually hit this threshold, they're good to go. That's usually your threshold that you hit to send them to sales. Totally. And there's probably a thing that we should touch on here, which was a piece of advice from John Miller, which was you probably shouldn't name them like tier one target, tier two target, three tier three yeah. target. You should probably name them other things so that your sales reps don't think, why am I getting tier threes? Like I want everything to be a tier one. When, when there might be some value in those other ones, you want to make sure that, that they don't feel like, you know, they're not getting great leads all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's tools like Pardot who will do everything out of the box. So they'll have lead grades and lead scores and every, you can kind of build your custom logic out in Pardot and weight things accordingly in their tool. So they've got a pretty slick lead scoring model built into the tool. But at the same time, you're probably going to want to use other data points that you have with your other tools in a combination with that. So I don't know that Pardot's scoring or any marketing automation scoring alone would suffice, but it is better than nothing. Right. I, I, I do think you have to, you really have to make sure that it's right for you and for your organization, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like, yes, yeah, something out of the box is going to work for everyone. And I think it's it, like scoring in general is just one of those things that it, you're kind of tweaking it like every quarter, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully you're not tweaking it too much. And hopefully you're tweaking it because you want to, you're really, you want to make sure that sales is, you know, it has that right balance between, you know, interested buyers, but enough volume at the same time. I, I know too many marketers who are just like, let me lower the threshold so I can make sure I hit my lead volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, and like, I generated uh, 5,000 tier one yeah. leads this car. <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> we, we, have, we, have six, we have six sales reps. Why would you do that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, that, and, that, and that's going to constantly be changing too, right? Uh, the, the market changes, your products change, uh, your buyers change. So you will have to constantly be just just tweaking and adjusting. You don't want to do it too much um, because that, I mean, that can also throw off your reporting. And I'm sure that's something that you guys are very yeah. familiar with. Mm-hmm. Well, why did we drop in our lead score dramatically, <laughs> you know, two months ago? Yeah. Well, we changed our definition a little bit here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. When you fine tune, like, especially if you tighten the screws a little bit to make sure that you're really getting super hot leads, then, yeah, your volume will drop and you have to prepare your organization for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, set those totally. expectations I mean, early. 
Yeah. yeah, before you do it, preferably. Right? <laughs> like, not, not after the fact. Otherwise, you're in for a really hard couple of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but I think I think Brandon, you've just touched on what I think are actually the two because what we've walked through is essentially like you know how I would approach doing this from the ground up. Which and, and John, Jonathan has a lot of guidance and has done this multiple times, so it's, so it's super helpful. But I think the two most important considerations that, that you actually touched on there are are one uh, the data you use, the factors you choose th- that show you. That, that you know there's a high correlation to conversion are going to vary business to business so it's very important when you're doing it to analyze them as they've been historically performing at your business which goes back to having a ton of data that you can look at look at all the factors and then figure out what actually means what indicates that this is a good lead and it's going to vary like if you're a business who has had a ton of success closing business with deals that you previously lost in the past closed lost deal existing might be a huge indicator right and that's not going to be all businesses, because if you're new and you don't have a bunch of those, that won't make sense. But if you're old and, and it does make sense, great. Like, factor that in. And then the second piece that's, I think, equally important, you're going to change it. Don't set it and forget it. Yeah. This, is not, this yeah. is not that, right? Like, <laughs> put this in place, but then track it, analyze to make sure it's successful, that you're getting the right leads, that you're actually improving your conversion rates by doing this and you're improving your your marketing spend and making more efficiency and, and actually aligning those two teams. Make sure you're successful in all that and continue to tweak it to improve, right? It's not it's not job done, move on. We we you know tweak it consistently within reason, yeah. of course. If you neglect it, you'll start to see that the company will lose trust in what's actually a high intent buyer and then they'll if they lose trust in your whole system then you've you've got an uphill battle for sure that is a very very super important maybe best point that jonathan has made on the podcast so far i i, I, I love this point boom <laughs> you don't argue that that's your best point you're just uh, yeah, yeah. accepting you're accepting that um but when you roll this out to your team it's super important that you both A, do it cautiously so everybody understands it, and B, do it in a way that builds trust in the system. Do it do it so that it's not, hey, we're, we're everybody's using this exclusively right now, and then you have three months if it's poor, then then you know everybody hates it and never trust it again. You've burned the sellers, you burn the marketers by by doing that. Roll it out in steps, test it thoroughly, make sure you're tracking everything and adjusting very rapidly in real time to, to build that trust and, and actually openly communicate that to all teams as you're doing it. Don't just be like changing the scores in the background and not telling anybody because <laughs> that, that won't go yeah. very well either. But I think it, it is super important. And by the way, once you have burned that trust with like lead scoring or tiering or whatever you call it, it's not coming back. It's, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that is going to fundamentally damage your business. It is super, super painful. What what other things should you avoid? Well, I, I would I would say a lot of people overcom overcomplicate it, mm-hmm. right? Mm. There's like they, they put a million different criteria in there. Like I I, I do think like there, there really is a fine balance between like having enough or having too much and having not enough data. Uh, or, or data points that go into your score. But like if you if you would put way too many in there, you actually don't know what's what actually is going to be the signal versus just more noise. Yeah, um, true. And on so, top of that, your data will get messy and it'll be hard to manage and all of a sudden yeah. it's falling out of date because you didn't update one of these criteria that you needed to add new criteria to. And yeah, it can get real messy real quick if it's overcomplicated. 
Totally. Have you guys done like account scoring? Like, I mean, it's basically the the, mm-hmm. the same idea. So, so yeah, the the uh, it's a great question. And, and Jonathan and I actually talked about this prior to this. I, I prepped him, you know, a little bit for what we were doing. I, I did a, a, the amount of prep <laughs> for you guys that I typically do, which is thirty minutes before I message you and say, "Hey, we're going to talk about this today." Um, <laughs> and so, so I did I did ping Jonathan that, and part of part of what we talked about actually is lead scoring is a really important factor of account scoring, right? Like mm, ultimately, yeah. it rolls rolls into account scoring and the goal of marketing and sales isn't actually the lead, it's the account. Right, right? exactly. And so, so lead People scoring is... People don't say is, I closed the lead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the, the account, lead right? converted into an account that then we closed, right? Like the yeah, account exactly. is the goal. And so, so the it, lead scoring is a hugely important piece on account scoring and definitely a whole other episode should be dedicated to account scoring because that's a whole separate <laughs> beast. It's <laughs> a really, that's a meaty topic. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do like the, the account scoring model a lot, especially with, you know, the tools like Engage, well, you know, part of the demand base now, but I, I really like what they're doing with the account scoring and just how customizable it can just be. Just shouting out your old company. Just shouting out your old company. <laughs> hey, look, I got stock in there still. I got to be pumping as much, <laughs> pump their tires as much as I can. I got a horse in that race. <laughs> I, I like it. I mean, like, little, little shameless self-promotion never heard anybody. Jonathan uh, mentioned Six Sense earlier. I was just like, no, 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 no. So, Jonathan, Jonathan doesn't have any Six Sense stock. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, they're not paying us for this yeah. podcast, yeah. are they? Yeah. <laughs> anybody is <laughs> yeah you're right you're right <laughs> <laughs> oh that, that hurt me to say out loud um, <laughs> anything else any other advice you'd give to somebody who's just starting out in lead scoring start slow i'd say don't try to bite off more than you can chew do a few things see how that works and then keep adding more on especially if you're coming at it from the very beginning where you haven't done this before i think yeah that would just be detrimental to try to bite off too much and then you're overcomplicating it you've still got to figure out how to build this stuff how to action this stuff so i'd I'd say just start slow slow and steady moves moves the needle a lot faster than trying to rush things out totally definitely it also prevents you from burning everybody's trust in the process if you go slow and carefully right super important brandon any other last piece of business advice before we uh move on to my favorite segment that, now let, let's let's go to our favorite segment. All right. I mean, really, if we did a segment that was just like me roasting you guys for five minutes, that would be my favorite. But what we're <laughs> going to do instead is it's time for this week on LinkedIn. You know, pretend we just heard a bell. Jonathan, you want to make a bell sound for us? Bing! Nice. He's Perfect always room. good for sound effects. If you yeah. ask for it. <laughs> the sound guy, he's the, he's the sound guy. <laughs> he's just always, always ready to make a sound effect. Uh, cool. So this week on LinkedIn, I got a question that I thought was quite interesting. We've talked about customer success quite a bit. Um, we've talked about you know metrics that are that are important to customer success. The the question I got was very short. Um, who should own NPS, which is Net Promoter Score, um, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second? Your product team or your customer success team? And, and Net Promoter Score for, for everybody listening is is a essentially you ask your customers one question, which is uh, how likely are you to refer? 
Ringine to another potential customer and they give you a scale of one to 10 and like one through six is not likely seven or is detractor is rated as a detractor seven and eight is neutral and nine and 10 is a promoter, which is your net promoter score, right? You score some, you want the nines and the tens, everything below that is essentially a negative, um, which we can talk about NPS more in depth. I think the customer success episode, we did talk about it pretty in depth, but and how much you don't like that. I, I, I hate <laughs> metrics, so we can go back to. I, I, I think directionally, it's it's a okay metric, right? Like it, it helps you identify some some things you can improve on at risk customers, that sort of stuff. So who should own it? Oh man, jeez, that that is a really good question. I, I I feel like you can make a solid argument for either way. I'm gonna argue for customer experience or, or customer success team. Um, because I think at at the end of the day, I think they're probably working, cl- hopefully working closely with product, too. At the same time, um, but I, I do think NPS is more of an entire experience thing mm. than it is just a product thing. Product can obviously, you know, the 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 product UX and design and actual functionality and how much bugs it has or does not have obviously will affect it a lot. But I think the 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 frontline CSMs, the people who are actually talking to the customers the most, um, I, I think they'll have a, a, a good influence on that number. Whether that is, you know, um, I want to make sure you're implemented properly and using it the best to their ability, or if it's like you want additional functionality, so I'm going to go talk with my product team, mm. or this functionality isn't working the way that I would have expected. Let me go talk to the product team. So I, I'm going to actually make the argument for, for CX or CS, whatever you want to call that. Um, but I, cu- I could see that on the other side as well. I'm going to agree with that. I think the CS side of the fence probably makes the most sense, not only because they'll be able to identify unhappy customers a lot more quickly and be able to try to mitigate some of their concerns, but also they should have a pretty good ear on the product side of the fence. So if the NPS scores are not driving product improvements, then you've got a problem. So you've got to make sure a product is aligned with the feedback you're getting on your product. Yeah. I I think they're the closest people to help you understand the customer because there's, Mm -hmm. there's only so much that you can do with a tool that measures product usage or even does heat mapping or even actually watches people where they click on the screen. I think that stuff is extremely useful, especially for product. Um, but that, that does not beat actually being on the phone and talking and being able to dig and understand the customer better. Cause I think that's what, those are the companies that win the companies that yeah. understand the, the customer the most, you know, that, that's the same with sales that the, the I, I think these days, the, the person that wins the sell, the sale, the deal the most is the person who actually understands the customer the best, not I have the best product. Yeah, and actually does something about the feedback because a lot of times there's all these bugs and then two years later, the bug is still there. Nothing has been done about it. So it's just like, unless they're actually taking actions against this feedback, then the feedback is kind of pointless. 
So you've both you've both said CS and then like made pretty solid cases for it to be product. I just want to point that out. <laughs> well, not product marketing. Well, no, not yeah, product well, marketing, but product in, product in general. Um, but, which which is totally fair because my, my actual answer to it was both. Metrics don't have to be owned by one team only. That's true. Right? Yeah, like like they can they can both own that metric, and, and I actually think there's a good argument for both to own that metric. And for what it's worth, to, to your point, everything you've said is I totally agree with. Right, like the CS team, it's a great indicator of you know potential churn which is hugely important where they need to spend additional time it's also helpful for them to identify upsells because it even somebody's giving you nine and ten saying hey i'm ready to refer somebody we should probably ask them for a referral and help us get some more business somewhere exactly. that's super important right like use that information alternatively product if you're a company selling a product and somebody's giving you a two out of ten somebody from your product team should directly call that person and right. say, hey, can we have 30 minutes of your time? You can tell us what we could do better to help support you. Especially mm-hmm. if that person's trying to solve the business problem with your product that you are trying to solve with your product. if Because you, you're failing at that, right? And, and they think you're failing at that. And it's the perfect time for you to talk to somebody. It helps you identify people that you can talk to and ask questions about what you need to do to improve your product. It should. I, I, I'm totally against any concept of like, yes, if, if somebody gives feedback to CS, they should relay that to product. But let's cut out the middleman. Somebody from product can give this person a phone call and have a 30-minute conversation. There's no reason to play telephone here. Like, it's And I I think somebody in in CS isn't going to maybe have enough technical know-how to truly understand what that feedback is meaning underneath And what sort of follow-up questions the product team wants to understand to to know how to fix it, right? Because a lot of times it's, hey, they said they're having a problem with this. Like, okay, but they have seven more questions they want to ask to understand. There's seven ways to fix it. What's the best way? And they want yeah. to ask the customer those things so that they can identify what's the best way to fix this for everybody. And as as like a customer of a product, there's nothing more frustrating than trying to play the telephone game between like totally. your success manager and then the people who actually know how the product works. So it's like, it's, just it, put me on it, the phone with the guy who knows what yeah. to do. Right. It's, it's a really <laughs> good point because also if I'm giving you a three and somebody from your, like your VP of product sends me an email, it's like, Hey man, can we jump on a 30 minute phone call and talk about this? I'm going to leave that call probably like a four or a five because at least your VP of product gave some interest in changing the things for me, right? Like you might never even change anything, but I'm slightly happier. Like yeah. we yeah. had a conversation. <laughs> I at least feel heard, kind of. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Like you heard me, ignored me, but you, you did hear me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Half the battle is just portraying that they give a shit, like that they care that you're having an issue because a lot right. of times people don't feel that way. They're like, this thing is broken and they don't care. Like you right. don't want people to think that because then they're going to yeah. leave. Totally. Totally. It just shows investment in the company and you as a customer. Did we just make the argument? Did we just change our mind from CS to, <laughs> to product now? Well, I know. Okay. Again, I want to point this out. Not every metric just has to be held by one team. That's, it can be held by multiple teams. I don't know why both can't be accountable be, to be. that score, yeah. right? So, yeah. no, so you're, you're I, that, that was my actual answer was both. Like, I think CS administers it with some help from product, and then both teams mm-hmm. have yeah. NPS goals. Like that's, yeah, it's, I think somebody has to be customer facing to kind of be the traffic cop in that scenario, because if you're like product is not always going to be in front of the customer, so they're not going to be. Well, I think mechanic. for what it's worth, I think you should productize NPS. I think when people log mm-hmm. in, there should be a bar that pops up on the bottom. How likely it's one question in a scale of one to 10. We've all, we've all lined, 
logged into a software and seen that little bar pop up. Just productize it. Work with your team. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bake in some other things too. You know, it doesn't have to just be NPS. Just get feedback in general on on everything. If they, if they give you a two, have a form pop up that says, what do you hate about us? (laughs) (laughs) You could even just label it. Why do you hate me? Question. Maybe see if a bottle of wine will change their mind. (laughs) Um, Cool. Super interesting. I think I think we talked about MPS a whole bunch on the CSM episode. Anybody listening who has more questions about MPS and why you know it's in my mind a lagging indicator, it's helpful but not helpful, and 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 that go listen to that episode. We we talked about it in depth. Um, super helpful, guys. Any other last thoughts before we we call it a day? All right, uh, I'm I'm good. I think we can call it a day. What do you think, Jonathan? I think so too. I thought Jonathan would want to say data like one or two more times. <laughs> okay. Probably Here, here's the deal. <laughs> You need data. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> he doesn't. He's been waiting to say data for like twelve episodes. So we're finally getting. We're finally getting there. Uh, cool guys, super helpful. That's that's it, everybody. Everybody listening, if you. Uh, solicit us some questions we love doing this week on linkedin please send us all your questions we want to answer them we'll make sure we try to get to them if we don't get to them on the show we'll get to them directly please tag us in anything ask those sort of things and of course if you're enjoying the podcast go over to apple and give us a five-star rating and review super helpful for us and if you're not enjoying it i don't know why you stuck with us this far into the podcast episode (laughs) but we love you anyway we love you and just don't go give us one star that's it like i don't (laughs) let's see we'll try harder i guess um maybe we need an nps score for the podcast we we could product (laughs) (laughs) only jonathan is responsible for it Uh, awesome Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.